444, Chapter 58 and 59 of The Count of Monte Cristo. Book talk begins at 406. Welcome to Craftlit, the podcast for crafters who love books. My name is Heather Ordover, and I'm podcasting from where the Delaware River meets the Old York Road, New Hope, Pennsylvania. Episode 444, NOLA. This episode of Craftlet is brought to you by its listeners. Many thanks and much gratefulness to all of the listeners who have gone over to patreon.com slash craftlet and pledged their support to the show. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Well, hello. I hope you are well. I am kind of tired, but that's because it's kind of early because the traffic starts kind of early and I didn't want to have to cut out any car noises today. But it's also because I am gearing up to go to New Orleans for my first time ever next week. So next week there won't be an episode or a crafty chat, but that's okay because this week we've got two chapters for you and boy have I been waiting to bring you these two chapters for a long time. Today we stay with Valentine, but not with Valentine and Maximilian. Today we get to see a little bit more of what goes on inside the home of Monsieur Villefort. And that is going to be interesting. But first, I have a crafty question for you. On Tuesdays at 1.30 over on YouTube, I have been rebuilding a knitting pattern that my husband's aunt asked me to figure out and fix ages ago. And I've finally gotten around to it. I'm still doing something wrong when I'm knitting because I can feel my my arm and shoulder start to go again because I just have not knit this much in one chunk of time for a really long time. But that aside, I'm noticing with this yarn, which is not the most flexible yarn, it is a, a linen blend. So it it doesn't cover a multitude of sins the same way that some wool does. I'm noticing that while my stitches are the regular size, you know, my, my stitch size seems to be consistent. The thing that is not consistent is how long one leg is over the other leg when you look at it from the front. And Tara said, and I think she's probably right, that that'll block out, which is fine but it's driving me crazy in the meantime. And while I know how to twist a stitch or untwist a stitch, depending on whether you knit into the front leg or the back leg, what I don't know is what I'm doing to create what appears to be almost a basket weave stitch. If you look at it from the right angle on the front side of the the knitting, the, the knit side, not the purl side. And I'm going to upload a picture to our show notes for this episode. So craftlit.com slash 444. Take a look at this picture and see if you can figure out what exactly it is that I'm doing. Maybe not wrong, but doing oddly because it's really driving me nuts and I cannot figure it out. But I have no doubt in my mind that one Craftlit listener, at least the odds are with me that one Craftlit listener will know the answer to that. It's a curiosity. I will share the answer with you if I get it, and, uh, and we'll all be that much better for the knowledge. Who knows where this information could come in handy in the future? All right, now, chapters 58 and 59 of The Count of Monte Cristo are two of, I think, the most, not just clever, but creative chapters I've come across. Certainly in in this book, but but also in any book of this time, somebody must have been doing what you will hear about in this chapter. Somebody somewhere must have been doing it, but it's still so bloody brilliant. It just makes me marvel. In fact, I remember going back and re-listening to these chapters the first time I went through the book because I just loved what Valentine does and shows that she has been doing for several years at this point. I just marvel. I do not believe there's anything else you need from me except for that 
little introduction. And now let's listen to the chapters. Here we go, chapters 58 and 59 of The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter 58. Monsieur Noirtier de Villefort. We will now relate what was passing in the house of the king's attorney after the departure of Madame Danglars and her daughter, and during the time of the conversation between Maximilian and Valentine, which we have just detailed. Monsieur de Villefort entered his father's room, followed by Madame de Villefort. Both of the visitors, after saluting the old man and speaking to Barrois, a faithful servant, who had been twenty-five years in his service, took their places on either side of the paralytic. Monsieur Noirtier was sitting in an armchair which moved upon casters, in which he was wheeled into the room in the morning, and in the same way drawn out again at night. He was placed before a large glass, which reflected the whole apartment, and so without any attempt to move, which would have been impossible, he could see all who entered the room and everything which was going on around him. Monsieur Noirtier, although almost as immovable as a corpse, looked at the newcomers with a quick and intelligent expression, perceiving at once by their ceremonious courtesy that they were come on business of an unexpected and official character. Sight and hearing were the only senses remaining, and they, like two solitary sparks, remained to animate the miserable body which seemed fit for nothing but the grave. It was only, however, by means of one of these senses that he could reveal the thoughts and feelings that still occupied his mind, and the look by which he gave expression to his inner life was like the distant gleam of a candle, which a traveller sees by night across some desert place, and knows that a living being dwells beyond the silence and obscurity. Noirtier's hair was long and white and flowed over his shoulders, while in his eyes, shaded by thick black lashes, was concentrated, as it often happens with an organ which is used to the exclusion of the others, all the activity, address, force, and intelligence which were formerly diffused over his whole body, and so although the movement of the arm, the sound of the voice, and the agility of the body were wanting, the speaking eye sufficed for all. He commanded with it. It was the medium through which his thanks were conveyed. In short, his whole appearance produced on the mind the impression of a corpse with living eyes, and nothing could be more startling than to observe the expression of anger or joy suddenly lighting up these organs, while the rest of the rigid and marble-like features were utterly deprived of the power of participation. Three persons only could understand this language of the poor paralytic. These were Villefort, Valentine, and the old servant of whom we have already spoken. But as Villefort saw his father but seldom, and then only when absolutely obliged, and as he never took any pains to please or gratify him when he was there, all the old man's happiness was centred in his granddaughter. Valentine, by means of her love, her patience and her devotion, had learned to read in Noirtier's look all the varied feelings which were passing in his mind. To this dumb language, which was so unintelligible to others, she answered by throwing her whole soul into the expression of her countenance, and in this manner were the conversations sustained between the blooming girl and the helpless invalid, whose body could scarcely be called a living one, but who nevertheless possessed a fund of knowledge and penetration, united with a will as powerful as ever, although clogged by a body rendered utterly incapable of obeying its impulses. Valentine had solved the problem, and was able easily to understand his thoughts, and to convey her own in return, and through her untiring and devoted assiduity, it was seldom that in the ordinary transactions of everyday life she failed to anticipate the wishes of the living, thinking mind, or the wants of the almost inanimate body. As to the servant, he had, as we have said, been with his master for five and twenty years, therefore he knew all his habits, and it was seldom that Noirtier found it necessary to ask for anything, so prompt was he in administering to all the necessities of the invalid. 
Villefort did not need the help of either Valentine or the domestic in order to carry on with his father the strange conversation which he was about to begin. As we have said, he perfectly understood the old man's vocabulary, and if he did not use it more often, it was only indifference and ennui which prevented him from so doing. He therefore allowed Valentine to go into the garden, sent away Barrois, and, after having seated himself at his father's right hand, while Madame de Villefort placed herself on the left, he addressed him thus. "'I trust you will not be displeased, sir, that Valentine has not come with us, or that I dismissed Barrois, for our conference will be one which could not with propriety be carried out in the presence of either. Madame de Villefort and I have a communication to make to you.' Noirtier's face remained perfectly passive during this long preamble, while, on the contrary, Villefort's eye was endeavouring to penetrate into the inmost recesses of the old man's heart. "'This communication,' continued the procureur, in that cold and decisive tone which seemed at once to preclude all discussion, "'will, we are sure, meet with your approbation.' The eye of the invalid still retained that vacancy of expression which prevented his son from obtaining any knowledge of the feelings which were passing in his mind. He listened. Nothing more. "'Sir,' resumed Villefort, "'we are thinking of marrying Valentine.' Had the old man's face been moulded in wax, it could not have shown less emotion at this news than was now to be traced there. "'The marriage will take place in less than three months,' said Villefort. Noirtier's eye still retained its inanimate expression. Madame de Villefort now took her part in the conversation, and added, "'We thought this news would possess an interest for you, sir, who have always entertained a great affection for Valentine. It therefore only now remains for us to tell you the name of the young man for whom she is destined. It is one of the most desirable connections which could possibly be formed.' He possesses a fortune, a high rank in society, and every personal qualification likely to render Valentine supremely happy. His name, moreover, cannot be wholly unknown to you. It is Monsieur Franz de Quesnel, a Baron d'Epinay. While his wife was speaking, Villefort had narrowly watched the old man's countenance. When Madame de Villefort pronounced the name of Franz, the pupil of M. Noirtier's eye began to dilate, and his eyelids trembled with the same movement that may be perceived on the lips of an individual about to speak, and he darted a lightning glance at Madame de Villefort and his son. The procureur, who knew the political hatred which had formerly existed between M. Noirtier and the elder d'Epinay, well understood the agitation and anger which the announcement had produced. But, feigning not to perceive either, he immediately resumed the narrative begun by his wife. "'Sir,' said he, "'you are aware that Valentine is about to enter her nineteenth year, which renders it important that she should lose no time in forming a suitable alliance. Nevertheless, you have not been forgotten in our plans, and we have fully ascertained beforehand that Valentine's future husband will consent.' not to live in this house, for that might not be pleasant for the young people, but that you should live with them, so that you and Valentine, who are so attached to each other, would not be separated, and you would be able to pursue exactly the same course of life which you have hitherto done, and thus, instead of losing, you will be a gainer by the change, as it will secure to you two children instead of one, to watch over and comfort you. Noirtier's look was furious. It was very evident that something desperate was passing in the old man's mind, for a cry of anger and grief rose in his throat, and not being able to find vent in utterance appeared almost to choke him, for his face and lips turned quite purple with the struggle. Villefort quietly opened a window, saying, it is very warm, and the heat affects Monsieur Noirtier. He then returned to his place, but did not sit down. This marriage, added Madame de Villefort, is quite agreeable to the wishes of Monsieur d'Epinay, 
and his family. Besides, he had no relations nearer than an uncle and an aunt, his mother having died at his birth, and his father having been assassinated in 1815. That is to say, when he was but two years old, it naturally followed that the child was permitted to choose his own pursuits, and he has therefore seldom acknowledged any other authority but that of his own will. "'That assassination was a mysterious affair,' said Villefort. "'And the perpetrators have hitherto escaped detection, "'although suspicion has fallen on the head of more than one person.' Noirtier made such an effort that his lips expanded into a smile. "'Now,' continued Villefort, "'those to whom the guilt really belongs, by whom the crime was committed, "'on who says the justice of man may probably descend here, "'and the certain judgment of God hereafter,' would rejoice in the opportunity thus afforded of bestowing such a peace-offering as Valentine on the son of him whose life they so ruthlessly destroyed. Noirtier had succeeded in mastering his emotion more than could have been deemed possible with such an enfeebled and shattered frame. "'Yes, I understand,' was the reply contained in his look, and this look expressed a feeling of strong indignation, mixed with profound contempt. Villefort fully understood his father's meaning, and answered by a slight shrug of his shoulders. He then motioned to his wife to take leave. "'Now, sir,' said Madame de Villefort, "'I must bid you farewell. Would you like me to send Edward to you for a short time?' It had been agreed that the old man should express his approbation by closing his eyes. His refusal by winking them several times, and if he had some desire or feeling to express, he raised them to heaven. If he wanted Valentine, he closed his right eye only, and if Barois, the left. At Madame de Villefort's proposition, he instantly winked his eyes. Provoked by a complete refusal, she bit her lip and said, "'Then shall I send Valentine to you?' The old man closed his eyes eagerly thereby intimating that such was his wish. <coughs> Monsieur and Madame de Villefort bowed and left the room, giving orders that Valentine should be summoned to her grandfather's presence. And feeling sure that she would have much to do to restore calmness to the perturbed spirit of the invalid, Valentine, with a colour still heightened by emotion, entered the room just after her parents had quitted it. One look was sufficient to tell her that her grandfather was suffering, and that there was much on his mind which she was wishing to communicate to her. "'Dear Grandpapa,' cried she, "'what has happened? They have vexed you, and you are angry.' The paralytic closed his eyes in token of assent. "'Who has displeased you? Is it my father?' "'No.' "'Madame de Villefort?' "'No.' "'Me?' The former sign was repeated. "'Are you displeased with me?' cried Valentine in astonishment. Monsieur Noirtier again closed his eyes. "'And what have I done, dear Grandpapa, that you should be angry with me?' cried Valentine. There was no answer, and she continued. "'I have not seen you all day. Has anyone been speaking to you against me?' "'Yes,' said the old man's look with eagerness. "'Let me think a moment. I do assure you, Grandpapa, ah!' "'Monsieur and Madame de Villefort have just left this room, have they not?' "'Yes.' "'And it was they who told you something which made you angry. "'What was it, then? "'May I go and ask them that I may have the opportunity of making my peace with you?' "'No, no,' said Noirtier's look. "'Ah, you frighten me. What can they have said?' "'And she again tried to think what it could be. "'Ah, I know.' she said, lowering her voice and going close to the old man. "'They have been speaking of my marriage, have they not?' "'Yes,' replied the angry look. "'I understand. You are displeased at the silence I have preserved on the subject. The reason of it was that they had insisted on me keeping the matter a secret, and begged me not to tell you of anything of it. They did not even acquaint me with their intentions, and I only discovered them by chance.' 
"'That is why I have been so reserved with you, dear Grandpapa. Pray forgive me.' But there was no look calculated to reassure her. All it seemed to say was, "'It is not only your reserve which afflicts me.' "'What is it, then?' asked the young girl. "'Perhaps you think I shall abandon you, dear Grandpapa, and that I shall forget you when I am married.' no they told you then that monsieur d'epinay consented to our living altogether yes then why are you still vexed and grieved the old man's eyes beamed with an expression of gentle affection yes i understand said valentine it is because you love me the old man assented and you are afraid i shall be unhappy yes you do not like monsieur france the eyes repeated several times no 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 then you are vexed with the engagement yes well listen said valentine throwing herself on her knees and putting her arm around her grandfather's neck i am vexed too for i do not love monsieur france d'epinay an expression of intense joy illumined the old man's eyes when i wish to retire into a convent you remember how angry you were with me a tear trembled in the eye of the invalid well continued valentine the reason of my proposing it was that i might escape this hateful marriage which drives me to despair noirtier's breathing became quick and short then the idea of this marriage really grieves you too oh if you could but help me if we could put together defeat their plan but you are unable to oppose them you whose mind is so quick and whose will is so firm are nevertheless as weak and unequal to the contest as i am myself alas you who would have been such a powerful protector to me in the days of your health and strength can now only sympathize in my joys and sorrows without being able to take any active part in them however this is much and calls for gratitude and heaven has not taken away all my blessings when it leaves me your sympathy and kindness at these words there appeared in noirtier's eye an expression of such deep meaning that the young girl thought she could read these words there you are mistaken i can still do much for you do you think you can help me dear grandpapa said valentine yes noirtier raised his eyes it was the sign agreed on between him and valentine when he wanted anything what is it you want dear grandpapa said valentine and she endeavoured to recall to mind all the things which he would be likely to need and as the ideas presented themselves to her mind she repeated them aloud then finding that all her efforts elicited nothing but a constant no she said come since this plan does not answer I still have recourse to another. She then recited all the letters of the alphabet from A down to N. When she arrived at that letter, the paralytic made her understand that she had spoken the initial letter of the thing he wanted. Ah, said Valentine, the thing you desire begins with the letter N. It is with N that we have to do, then. Well, let me see. What can you want that begins with N? Na, ne, ni no yes 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 said the old man's eye ah it is no then yes valentine fetched a dictionary which she placed on a desk before noirtier she opened it and seeing that the odd man's eye was thoroughly fixed on its pages she ran her finger quickly up and down the columns during the six years which had passed since noirtier first fell into this sad state valentine's powers of invention had been too often put to the test not to render her expert in devising expedients for gaining a knowledge of his wishes and the constant practice had so perfected her in the art that she guessed the old man's meaning as quickly as if he himself had been able to seek for what he wanted at the word notary noirtier made a sign to her to stop notary said she do you want our notary dear grandpapa the old man again signified that it was a notary he desired you would wish a notary to be sent for then said valentine 
Yes. Shall my father be informed of your wish? Yes. Do you wish the notary to be sent for immediately? Yes. Then they shall go for him directly. Dear Grandpapa, is that all you want? Yes. Valentine rang the bell and ordered the servant to tell Monsieur or Madame de Villefort that they were requested to come to Monsieur Noirtier's room. Are you satisfied now? inquired Valentine. Yes. I am sure you are. It is not very difficult to discover that. And the young girl smiled on her grandfather as if he had been a child. Monsieur de Villefort entered, followed by Barrois. What do you want from me, sir? demanded he of the paralytic. Sir, said Valentine, my grandfather wishes for a notary. At this strange and unexpected demand, Monsieur de Villefort and his father exchanged looks. Yes, motioned the latter, with a firmness which seemed to declare that with the help of Valentine and his old servant, who both knew what his wishes were, he was quite prepared to maintain the contest. Do you wish for a notary? asked Villefort. Yes. What to do? Noirtier made no answer. What do you want with a notary? again repeated Villefort. The invalid's eye remained fixed, by which expression he intended to intimate that his resolution was unalterable. Is it to do us some ill turn? Do you think it is worth while? said Villefort. Still, said Barrois, with the freedom and fidelity of an old servant, if Monsieur Noirtier asks for a notary, I suppose he really wishes for a notary. Therefore I shall go at once and fetch one. Barrois acknowledged no master, but Noirtier, and never allowed his desires in any way to be contradicted. Yes, I do want a notary, motioned the old man, shutting his eyes with a look of defiance, which seemed to say, And I should like to see the person who dares to refuse my request. You shall have a notary, as you absolutely wish for one, sir, said Villefort, but I shall explain to him your state of health, and make excuses for you, for the scene cannot fail of being a most ridiculous one. Never mind that, said Barrois. I should go and fetch a notary, nevertheless. And the old servant departed triumphantly on his mission. End of chapter 58 Chapter 59 the will. As soon as Barrois had left the room, Noirtier looked at Valentine with a malicious expression that said many things. The young girl perfectly understood the look, and so did Villefort, for his countenance became clouded, and he knitted his eyebrows angrily. He took a seat and quietly awaited the arrival of the notary. Noirtier saw him seat himself with an appearance of perfect indifference at the same time giving a side look at Valentine, which made her understand that she was also to remain in the room. Three quarters of an hour after, Barrois returned, bringing the notary with him. Sir, said Villefort, after the first salutations were over, you are sent for by Monsieur Noirtier, whom you see here. All his limbs have become completely paralyzed, he has lost his voice also, and we ourselves find much trouble in endeavouring to catch some fragments of his meaning. Noirtier cast an appealing look on Valentine, which look was at once so earnest and imperative that she answered immediately. Sir, said she, I perfectly understand my grandfather's meaning at all times. That is quite true, said Barrois, and that is what I told the gentleman as we walked along. Permit me said the notary, turning him first to Villefort, and then to Valentine. "'Permit me to state that the case in question is just one of those in which a public officer like myself cannot proceed to act without thereby incurring a dangerous responsibility. The first thing necessary to render an act valid is that the notary should be thoroughly convinced that he has faithfully interpreted the will,' and wishes of the person dictating the act. Now I cannot be sure of the approbation or disapprobation of a client who cannot speak, 
and as the object of his desire or his repugnance cannot be clearly proved to me, on account of his want of speech, my services here would be quite useless and cannot be legally exercised. The notary then prepared to retire. An imperceptible smile of triumph was expressed on the lips of the procureur. Noirtier looked at Valentine with an expression so full of grief that she arrested the departure of the notary. Sir, said she, the language which I speak with my grandfather may be easily learned, and I can teach you in a few minutes to understand it almost as well as I can myself. Will you tell me what you require in order to set your conscience quite at ease on the subject? In order to render an act valid, I must be certain of the approbation or disapprobation of my client. Illness of body would not affect the validity of the deed, but sanity of mind is absolutely requisite. Well, sir, by the help of two signs, with which I will acquaint you presently, you may ascertain with perfect certainty that my grandfather is still in the full possession of all his mental faculties. Monsieur Noirtier, being deprived of voice and motion, is accustomed to convey his meaning by closing his eyes when he wishes to signify yes, and to wink when he means no. You know quite enough to enable you to converse with Monsieur Noirtier. Try. Noirtier gave Valentine such a luck of tenderness and gratitude that it was comprehended even by the notary himself. "'You have heard and understood what your granddaughter has been saying, sir, have you?' asked the notary. Noirtier closed his eyes. "'And you approve of what she said? That is to say, you declare that the signs which she mentioned are really those by means of which you are accustomed to convey your thoughts?' "'Yes.' "'It was you who sent for me?' "'Yes.' "'To make your will?' "'Yes.' "'And you do not wish me to go away without fulfilling your original intentions?' The old man winked violently. "'Well, sir,' said the young girl, "'do you understand now, and is your conscience perfectly at rest on the subject?' But before the notary could answer, Villefort had drawn him aside. Sir, said he, do you suppose for a moment that a man can sustain a physical shock, such as Monsieur Noirtier has received, without any detriment to his mental faculties? It is not exactly that, sir, said the notary, which makes me uneasy, but the difficulty will be in wording his thoughts and intentions, so as to be able to get his answers. "'You must see that to be an utterly impossibility,' said Villefort. Valentine and the old man heard this conversation, and Noirtier fixed his eyes so earnestly on Valentine that she felt bound to answer to the look. "'Sir,' said she, "'that need not make you uneasy, however difficult it may at first sight appear to be. I can discover and explain to you my grandfather's thoughts.' so as to put an end to all your doubts and fears on the subject. I have now been six years with Monsieur Noirtier, and let him tell you if ever once during that time he has entertained a thought which he was unable to make me understand. No, signed the old man. Let us try what we can do then, said the notary. You accept this young lady as your interpreter, Monsieur Noirtier? Yes. "'Well, sir, what do you require of me, and what document is it that you wish to be drawn up?' Valentine named all the letters of the alphabet until she came to W. At this letter the eloquent eye of Noirtier gave her notice that she was to stop. "'It is very evident that it is the letter W which Monsieur Noirtier wants,' said the notary. "'Wait!' said Valentine, and turning to her grandfather, she repeated, "'What? Where? Oui?' The old man stopped her at the last syllable. Valentine then took the dictionary, and the notary watched her while she turned over the pages. She passed her finger slowly down the column, and when she came to the word will, 
Monsieur Noirtier's eyes bade her stop. "'Will,' said the notary, "'it is very evident that Monsieur Noirtier is desirous of making his will.' "'Yes, yes, yes,' motioned the invalid. "'Really, sir, you must allow that this is most extraordinary,' said the astonished notary, turning to Monsieur de Villefort. "'Yes,' said the procureur, "'and I think the will promises to be yet more extraordinary, "'for I cannot see how it is to be drawn up without the intervention of Valentine, "'and she may, perhaps, be considered as too much interested in its contents "'to allow of her being a suitable interpreter of the obscure and ill-defined wishes of her grandfather.' "'No, no, no,' replied the eye of the paralytic. "'What?' said Villefort. "'Do you mean to say that Valentine is not interested in your will?' "'No.' "'Sir,' said the notary, whose interest had been greatly excited, and who had resolved on publishing far and wide the account of this extraordinary and picturesque scene. "'What appeared so impossible to me an hour ago has now become quite easy and practicable.' and this may be a perfectly valid will, provided it be read in the presence of seven witnesses, approved by the testator, and sealed by the notary in the presence of the witnesses. As to the time, it will not require very much more than the generality of wills. There are certain forms necessary to be gone through, and which are always the same." As to the details, the greater part will be furnished afterwards by the state, in which we find the affairs of the testator, and by yourself, who, having had the management of them, can doubtless give full information on the subject. But besides all this, in order that the instrument may not be contested, I am anxious to give it the greatest possible authenticity." Therefore, one of my colleagues will help me, and, contrary to custom, will assist in the dictation of the testament. Are you satisfied, sir? continued the notary, addressing the old man. Yes, looked the invalid, his eye beaming with delight at the ready interpretation of his meaning. What is he going to do? thought Villefort, whose position demanded much reserve but who was longing to know what his father's intentions were. He left the room to give orders for another notary to be sent, but Barrois, who had heard all that passed, had guessed his master's wishes, and had already gone to fetch one. The procureur then told his wife to come up. In the course of a quarter of an hour everyone had assembled in the chamber of the paralytic. The second notary had also arrived, a few words sufficed for a mutual understanding between the two officers of the law. They read to Noirtier the formal copy of a will, in order to give him an idea of the terms in which such documents are generally couched. Then, in order to test the capacity of the testator, the first notary said, turning towards him, "'When an individual makes his will, it is generally in favour or in prejudice of some person.' Yes. "'Have you an exact idea of the amount of your fortune?' "'Yes.' "'I will name to you several sums which will increase by gradation. "'You will stop me when I reach one representing the amount of your own possessions.' "'Yes.' "'There was a kind of solemnity in this interrogation. "'Never had the struggle between mind and matter been more apparent than now. "'And if it was not a sublime... It was at least a curious spectacle. They had formed a circle round the invalid. The second notary was sitting at a table, prepared for writing, and his colleague was standing before the testator, in the act of interrogating him on the subject to which we have alluded. "'Your fortune exceeds three hundred thousand francs, does it not?' asked he. Noirtier made a sign that it did. "'Do you possess four hundred thousand francs?' inquired the notary. Noirtier's eyes remained immovable. Five hundred thousand. The same expression continued. Six hundred thousand. Seven hundred thousand. Eight hundred thousand. Nine hundred thousand. Noirtier stopped him at the last named sum. 
you are then in possession of nine hundred thousand francs asked the notary yes in landed property no in stock yes the stock is in your own hands the look which monsieur nortier cast on barois showed that there was something wanting which he knew where to find the old servant left the room and presently returned bringing with him a small casket do you permit us to open this casket asked the notary noirtier gave his assent they opened it and found nine hundred thousand francs in bank scrip the first notary handed over each note as he examined it to his colleague the total amount was found to be as monsieur noirtier had stated it is all as he has said it is very evident that the mind still retains its full force and vigour then turning towards the paralytic he said you possess then nine hundred thousand francs of capital which according to the manner in which you have invested it ought to bring in an income of about forty thousand livres yes to whom do you desire to leave this fortune oh said madame de villefort there is not much doubt on that subject monsieur noirtier tenderly loves his granddaughter mademoiselle de villefort it is she who has nursed and tended him for six years and has by her devoted attention fully secured the affection i had almost said the gratitude of her grandfather and it is but just that she should reap the fruit of her devotion the eye of noirtier clearly showed by its expression that he was not deceived by the false assent given by madame de villefort's words and manner to the motives which she supposed him to entertain it is then to mademoiselle valentine de villefort that you leave these nine hundred thousand francs demanded the notary thinking he had only to insert this clause but waiting first for the assent of noirtier which it was necessary should be given before all the witnesses of this singular scene valentine when her name was made the subject of discussion had stepped back to escape unpleasant observation her eyes were cast down and she was crying the old man looked at her for an instant with an expression of the deepest tenderness then turning towards the notary he significantly winked his eye in token of dissent what said the notary do you not intend making mademoiselle valentine de villefort your residuary legatee no you are not making any mistake are you said the notary you really mean to declare that such is not your intention no repeated noirtier no valentine raised her head struck dumb with astonishment it was not so much the conviction that she was disinherited that caused her grief but her total inability to account for the feelings which had provoked her grandfather to such an act but noirtier looked at her with so much affectionate tenderness that she exclaimed oh grandpapa i see now that it is only your fortune of which you deprive me you still leave me the love which i have always enjoyed ah yes most assuredly said the eyes of the paralytic for he closed them with an expression which valentine could not mistake thank you thank you murmured she the old man's declaration that valentine was not the destined inheritor of his fortune had excited the hopes of madame de villefort she gradually approached the invalid and said then doubtless dear monsieur noirtier you intend leaving your fortune to your grandson edouard de villefort the winking of the eyes which answered this speech was most decided and terrible and expressed a feeling almost amounting to hatred no said the notary then perhaps it is to your son monsieur de villefort no the two notaries looked at each other in mute astonishment and inquiry as to what were the real intentions of the testator villefort and his wife both grew red one from shame the other from anger what have we all done then dear grandpapa said valentine you no longer seem to love any of us 
the old man's eyes passed rapidly from Villefort and his wife, and rested on Valentine with a look of unutterable fondness. "'Well,' said she, "'if you love me, Grandpapa, try and bring that love to bear upon your actions at this present moment. You know me well enough to be quite sure that I have never thought of your fortune. Besides, they say I am already rich in right of my mother, too rich even. Explain yourself, then.' Noirtier fixed his intelligent eyes on Valentine's hand. "'My hand?' said she. "'Yes.' "'Her hand?' exclaimed everyone. "'Oh, gentlemen, you see it is all useless, and that my father's mind is really impaired,' said Villefort. "'Ah!' cried Valentine suddenly. "'I understand. It is my marriage, you mean. Is it not, dear Grandpapa?' "'Yes, yes, yes,' signed the paralytic, casting on Valentine a look of joyful gratitude for having guessed his meaning. "'You are angry with us all, on account of this marriage, are you not?' "'Yes.' "'Really, this is too absurd,' said Villefort. "'Excuse me, sir,' replied the notary. "'On the contrary, the meaning of Monsieur Noirtier is quite evident to me, and I can quite easily connect the train of ideas passing in his mind.' "'You do not wish me to marry Monsieur Franz d'Epinay,' observed Valentine. "'I do not wish it,' said the eye of her grandfather. "'And you disinherit your granddaughter,' continued the notary, "'because she has contracted an engagement contrary to your wishes?' "'Yes. "'So that but for this marriage she would have been your heir?' "'Yes.' There was a profound silence. The two notaries were holding a consultation as to the best means of proceeding with the affair. Valentine was looking at her grandfather with a smile of intense gratitude, and Villefort was biting his lips with vexation, while Madame de Villefort could not succeed in repressing an inward feeling of joy which, in spite of herself, appeared in her whole countenance. "'But,' said Villefort, who was the first to break the silence, "'I consider that I am the best judge of the propriety of the marriage in question. "'I am the only person possessing the right to dispose of my daughter's hand. "'It is my wish that she should marry Monsieur Franz d'Epinay, and she shall marry him.' "'Valentine sank weeping into a chair. "'Sir,' said the notary, "'how do you intend disposing of your fortune in case Mademoiselle de Villefort?' still determines on marrying monsieur france the old man gave no answer you will of course dispose of it in some other way yes in favour of some member of your family no do you intend devoting it to charitable purposes then pursued the notary yes but said the notary you are aware that the law does not allow a son to be entirely deprived of his patrimony. Yes. You only intend, then, to dispose of that part of your fortune which the law allows you to subtract from the inheritance of your son. Noirtier made no answer. Do you still wish to dispose of all? Yes. But they will contest the will after your death. No. "'My father knows me,' replied Villefort. "'He is quite sure that his wishes will be held sacred by me. "'Besides, he understands that in my position I cannot plead against the poor.' "'The eye of Noirtier beamed with triumph. "'What do you decide on, sir?' asked the notary of Villefort. "'Nothing, sir. It is a resolution which my father has taken, "'and I know he never alters his mind.' I am quite resigned. These nine hundred thousand francs will go out of the family in order to enrich some hospital, but it is ridiculous thus to yield to the caprice of an old man, and I shall therefore act according to my conscience. Having said this, Villefort quitted the room with his wife, leaving his father at liberty to do as he pleased. The same day the will was made, the witnesses were brought. 
it was approved by the old man sealed in the presence of all and given in charge to monsieur deschamps the family notary end of chapter 59 i know normally when i play you two chapters it's to avoid a cliffhanger but it would only have been worse if i'd stopped after chapter 58 and the thing that we are hanging on the cliff for is not so much what is about to happen as an explanation of what has happened and it will take us a little bit of time to figure out exactly how Monsieur Noirtier is arranging things to his benefit, because obviously he loves Valentine. He is not going to do anything to harm her. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we understand what it is that he is up to entirely. And, and that's okay. That happens sometimes. But is that business with the dictionary and the, the letters of the alphabet and the dictionary not just the most brilliant thing ever? It's, it's like the Stephen Hawking machine, but done with humans. And my, my mind exploded. But I love stuff like this, and, and you know that. So have a great week. I hope to be uploading some fun pictures from New Orleans to Instagram while I am there. And if all goes well, we will have a brave new podcast ready for you soon. That will be the 1984 Brave New World and The True Believer. If you want to keep up to date on when that podcast will happen and how you will be able to listen to it, you can visit craftlit.com slash 1984. And as I have more information, I will post it there for you. All right. Take care. Have a great week. I will talk to you soon. Bye. If you like getting free audiobooks with benefits every week, please consider supporting the show over at patreon.com slash craftlet. There are rewards waiting for you beyond, you know, the free podcast. You can also subscribe to our premium streaming audio by tapping the red lock when you are looking at the app or at the show notes at craftlet.libsyn.com slash podcast. You can also sign up for a premium download subscription by following the links in the right-hand sidebar at craftlet.com. And if it's easier for you, you can always subscribe and review at iTunes and at Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook, support us at Patreon, and come with us on tour. For nine years, Craftlet has been kept going by the support of you, the listener. And for that, I am truly grateful. And remember, if your hands are too busy to pick up a book, at least you can turn one on.